Hello everyone and welcome to the September 8th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The State Compensation Insurance Fund claimed it was defrauded by its own collection company in a civil case recently reviewed by the California Court of Appeal. Here is what happened in the unpublished case of State Compensation Insurance Fund versus De Leon. The State Fund hired F.D. De Leon and Associates to collect past due premiums from some of the State Fund policyholders. The agreement required De Leon to deposit payments that it collected into a trust account and to remit the payment to State Fund on the first week of the following month. Each remittance was to identify the commission due to De Leon and Associates and the amount due to the State Fund. In July 2010, the State Fund discovered that one of its policyholders had delivered a $275,000 check to De Leon in October 2007, but nothing had been forwarded to the fund. Repeated attempts to find out what happened to the money were not successful. This triggered a complete internal audit, which showed that De Leon received at least 34 additional checks from former policyholders where no money was ever remitted to State Fund. State Fund filed a civil complaint against F.D. De Leon & Associates, Inc., alleging breach of written contract and fraud by affirmative misrepresentation and concealment of fact. State Fund's complaint also named Francisco de D. De Leon individually, but the complaint did not allege he made any specific misstatement of fact or personal concealment of any fact. Instead, the complaint broadly alleged that all defendants defrauded State Fund. State Fund then filed a motion for summary judgment but did not identify which of the three named defendants were targets of the motion. State Fund's arguments were somewhat vague in referencing to the individual defendant Francisco de Leon without differentiating among the named corporate defendants and the individual. No defendant filed opposition to State Fund's motion, but Francisco de Leon, in his capacity as an individual defendant, filed objections to certain, of certain evidence. Despite these deficiencies, the trial court granted the motion in the sum of $1.5 million against all defendants. Francisco D. de Leon, as an individual defendant, appealed, and the Court of Appeal reversed as to him in the unpublished case of State Compensation Insurance Fund versus de Leon. The appellate court concluded that State Fund's evidence did not show who specifically made any representation or did any act constituting fraud. State Fund's evidence failed to show that Francisco D. de Leon individually and personally collected payments or that he was personally responsible for the non-remittances or that he was personally or that he personally submitted reports which fraudulently understated the amount of payments recovered on behalf of State Fund. The trial court judgment against the individual was therefore reversed. And now our fraud report. AAA Copy LLC, a rancho, a rancho Cucamonga-based document copy and management company, entered a plea of no contest to one felony count of insurance fraud. 
AAA Coffee is a litigation support company for the legal community and the insurance industry. They specialize in document production and procurement, handling all aspects of discovery and workers' compensation and other insurance cases. The State Compensation Insurance Fund reported the company to the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office Workers' Compensation Insurance Fraud Unit in late 2013. Claims managers at the state fund noticed that AAA Coffee was including charges of sales tax on their billings for coffee and document services related to workers' compensation litigation. An investigation by the DA fraud unit determined that the sales tax money it received was not being submitted to the Board of Equalization or to any other state agency where such tax monies are supposed to be deposited. Rather, it appeared that after charging sales tax, AAA Copy was keeping those funds in violation of the law. The owner and operator of AAA Copy during this time period was Inger Stewart Soto of Rancho Cucamonga. However, prior to any case being filed, Mr. Soto passed away in early 2014. Therefore, only the copy company itself was considered for criminal charges. A felony criminal complaint was filed this July, charging AAA Copy with one felony count of insurance fraud. On this August, a representative of the defendant company entered a plea of no contest to that count as a felony and was sentenced immediately. The court placed the company on probation and ordered it to pay nearly $2,500 in restitution to the state fund, plus court fines and fees. The Identity Theft Resource Center says that the healthcare industry experienced more data breaches in 2013 than ever, accounting for 44% of all security breaches nationwide. It was the first time that the medical industry surpassed all others and stood in stark contrast to the financial services industry, which represented just 3.7% of the total. Identity theft is so pervasive in healthcare that According to a 2013 data security survey of 91 healthcare organizations, 90% had experienced a data breach in the previous two years, and 38% had had more than five incidents. The leading causes of a breach are typical for any business, a lost or stolen computing device, an employee error, or a third-party problem. But one cause has grown in, imp in importance. According to the survey, criminal attacks have doubled in the last four years. Essentially, criminals have come to understand that using medical credentials, the name, social security number, and health insurance numbers to order goods and services that are never delivered are more profitable than drugs, prostitution, and other crimes. For this reason, medical identities are 20 to 50 times more valuable to criminal, criminals than financial identities. What could ex exacerbate the problem is the digitization of health information found in electronic records, mobile devices, and health exchanges. Estimates of annual United States medical fraud range from $80 billion to $230 billion. This is why the healthcare industry and related players are starting to come together to tackle prevention. In the financial world, they've been dealing with these problems for years. Unfortunately, in the medical world, no one has caught up. This year, a few dozen businesses, including healthcare providers such as hospitals, integrated care payer providers such as 
Kaiser Permanente, insurers, credit companies, and digital security companies formed the Medical Identity Fraud Alliance. The healthcare industry could take one more page from the Financial Services Identity Theft Prevention Playbook. The industry should adopt the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's Red Flags Rule, which requires businesses and organizations to develop and, and implement procedures to detect suspicious activities or patterns of behavior that suggest identity theft. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has again made revisions to its Workers' Compensation Information System regulations. The new revisions followed a public hearing on July 14 and review of written comments. There is now an additional 15-day public comment period for the newest changes. The DWC incorporated primarily technical changes to the WCIS regulations. It added reference to the pre-2014 official medical fee schedule to make sure that no data is lost during the transition period to the revised regulations. It also broadened ICD diagnosis data collected to include both ICD-9 and ICD-10 data. And finally, there was clarified procedures for reporting lump sum lien settlement payment data. The DWC believes that these updates will allow WCIS to collect more robust and useful data that will assist with research regarding workers' compensation issues. The notice and text of the regulations can be found on the proposed regulations page. Some new MPN regulations have become effective this August and they have been finally approved by the, by the Office of Administrative Law. Officials say these regulations will help improve patient access to physicians within MPNs. The MPN regulations include a streamlined application process that allows electronic submission of MPN applications, modifications, and reapprovals. The regulations require a unique MPN identification number to be assigned to each MPN in order to identify a specific entity. The introduction of MPN medical access assistance and the regulatory standards that they must meet to properly assist injured workers to find and schedule medical appointments with MPN physicians should, Im be, should improve access to medical care. An MPN must now have at least three available physicians from which an injured worker can choose, and if the time and location access standards are not met, MPNs must have a written policy permitting out-of-network treatment. There are new physician acknowledgement requirements to ensure that physicians in the MPN have affirmatively elected to be a member of the network. Oversight of MPNs has been strengthened with a new formal complaint process. The DWC's ability to, to enforce MPN statutory and regulatory compliance is improved with the regulations that set forth the petition for suspension or revocation of MPN process. In addition, the regulations establish additional grounds for the probation, suspension, or revocation of an MPN and the procedures by which MPNs are reviewed by DWC and assessed administrative penalties. The final regulations are posted on the DWC website with fillable MPN forms soon to follow. A new CWCI study finds that the average number of first-year medical reports per claim provided by California workers' comp treating physicians to claims administrators 
rose by 123% in the 12 years leading up to the adoption of the new physician fee schedule. The increase was fueled in part by increases in evaluation and management services used to treat injured workers and in the number of physician reports per E&M service, but claims organizations note that reports still do not always meet regulatory requirements or include all of the medical information needed for effective claims management. California's new workers' comp physician fee schedule, which took effect in January, includes two changes that will affect physician reporting. First, it incorporates fees for consulting physician reports into the underlying evaluation service fee. So these reports are no longer separately reimbursable unless requested by the DWC Administrative Director, the Appeals Board, or a qualified medical evaluator in the context of a med legal evaluation. Second, it no longer provides for separate reimbursement for a primary treating physician's review of medical records outside the context of a face-to-face E&M service. The extent to which these changes will impact reporting is unknown, so the CWCI conducted the study to compile, compile benchmark data that can be used to measure future changes. The findings show that the average number of reports per claim rose steadily for more than a decade. This helped push reports up from 7.2% to 12.2% of all workers' comp medical services in the 10 years leading up to the adoption of the new fee schedule. To assess qualitative aspects of reporting, the study included survey re results of a survey of claims administrators to evaluate both the content and the timeliness of the reports they receive. Even though state law requires a primary treating physician to incorporate findings of secondary physicians into their reports, 25% of survey respondents said such findings are rarely included in the PTP's report, while half said they are sometimes included. On the issue of timeliness, two-thirds of the respondents said that reports are usually or always on time, which tracks with the finding that reports for services beyond the first year were billed every 44 days. CWCI plans to continue to research the issue of physician reporting in workers' comp using data from the current study as a baseline to gauge changing patterns. In the meantime, the institution has published additional details and graphics from the study in a research note, which is available to CWCI members and subscribers. Experts say that tighter controls on opioid prescription painkillers issued by the DEA last month may increase workers' compensation costs in the short term, but over the long term they could help reduce overuse of opioids. The new regulations may drive up the price of some drugs and will force some workers' comp claimants to visit their doctors more frequently to obtain prescription painkillers, increasing employer costs but closer monitoring by medical professionals may lead to alternative therapies that don't rely on potentially addictive drugs. Despite the tighter controls, opioid use by workers remains a critical workplace safety concern. Effective October 6th, hydrocodone combination drugs will be classified as Schedule II controlled sub substances. Previously, they had been classified as Schedule III. 
Pure hydrocodone already was considered a Schedule II controlled substance along with opioids such as oxycodone and morphine. In addition, the DEA classified tramadol, another opioid painkiller, but one that is generally viewed as less powerful than some others, as a Schedule IV drug. Previously, tramadol, which is sold under the names Ultram and Rizal, was unregulated by the DEA. Under DEA rules, Schedule II drugs cannot be refilled under the same prescription, whereas Schedule III and Schedule IV drugs can be refilled up to five times with prescriptions experiencing expiring after six months. As an unregulated substance, patients had access to unlimited refills of tramadol over the course of one year in most states. However, at least 10 states treated products containing tramadol as controlled substances prior to the DEA's new classification. As a result of the changes for both classes of drugs, some injured workers may have to make more frequent physician visits to be monitored or to obtain new written prescriptions. But experts say there is also a chance that those visits could lead to better care. However, if more claimants begin taking tramadol as a result of hydrocodone combination products becoming more controlled, the average wholesale price of tramadol, could, uh, tramadol products could increase. In October, claimants who are taking hydrocodone products may switch to tramadol or codeine, although a lot of users do not like codeine because it has more side effects. And in other news, Tower Group International Limited is a Bermuda-based, global diversified insurance and reinsurance holding company. Its insurance subsidiaries provide commercial, personal, and specialty insurance and reinsurance products. It is operating as Tower Select Insurance Company in California with offices in Irvine. In 2013, the company announced that it was delaying the release of its financial results for the second quarter due to issues relating to the estimate of its loss reserves. By October, Tower announced that it would increase its loss reserves by approximately $365 million in its workers' compensation, commercial multi-parole, commercial auto, and other liability lines. Tower's most recent Securities and Exchange Commission 10Q filing included a net loss of $106 million and shareholders' equity of a negative $11 million. As a result, the company has seen multi-notch rating downgrades from rating agencies Fitch and AM Best for a number of times in recent months. The good news is that Tower has a planned merger with ACP Ray, which is anticipated to close in September 2014, but may be delayed as late as November 15, 2014. Recently, the terms of the deal were amended to reduce the cash, pay cash payment per share to $2.50 from $3 agreed to earlier. But at least one an analyst says that there remains a high degree of uncertainty about the deal. To add to these worries, the insurance company received a letter from the Securities and Exchange Commission stating that the SEC is conducting an investigation of the company. Tower said it intends to cooperate fully with the SEC's investigation. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. 
And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Eric Law, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. And drop, again, drop by again next week for more news.